0: So the fourth episode of Demol Valkia, season 10 recaps from Reality TV Warriors, my name is Michael Hamstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who has a video warning that the clam is loose in the cloth, Logan Saunders. Good evening. Potentially the most disgusting intro I have ever done for you, and I am about whether to use it. <laughs> because, I mean, the imagery in the clam is loose in the cloth. I think that's what we we just need to spend the next hour or so talking about, nothing else. I mean, there's nothing else that really happened in this episode.
1: Yeah, fairly uneventful episode, nothing noteworthy or exceptional or unique about what happened this week. Not only in the mole, but also in my personal life.
0: Yeah, as I said to you earlier, I've got the least amount of notes I've had for any episode this season and this podcast.
1: It's the least amount of notes for me too, but for very different reasons. (laughs)
0: Let's lead with the most important thing. How was your week, been? What have you been up to?
1: Oh, let's see. Well, I can't even think of the order of what happened. So, yeah, one of my close friends, the co-founder of my trivia team, he unfortunately died of heart disease while asleep back home in Vernon. So they had a celebration of life for him a couple of days ago. Some of his really close friends uh, met him through me at Trivia because I'd bring my friends to Trivia and they were they' become close friends with Scotty, so that was a huge surprise for everybody. I remember even working in the pharmacy. you hear it all the time that the first sign of heart disease is a fatal heart attack, and unfortunately, it sounds like that was the case with him. I don't think he was so, as far as I'm aware, he didn't know he had any sort of heart issues
0: it's really strange that that happened because a couple of months ago one of my one of my friends friends from his running club she died of a uh, a heart attack or something in her sleep and she was only like early 30s i think
1: yeah he was he was a bit older not but not not elderly by any means he was probably around i want to say probably around 50 years old i would say yeah which is still quite
0: quite young still pretty young yeah
1: yeah, still very young to have a you know, fatal heart attack in your sleep or heart failure. Yeah, you know, of course, I'm hearing this through the cause of death is being passed along, but the consistent narrative is he died of heart disease in his sleep. So that was a huge shock, shocker because initially I didn't, I didn't believe it. I'm, everyone was doubting if that was true or not, and then after a bit more digging, and more of my friends who lived back home in Vernon popped up and said, "Yeah, he he really did, <laughs> he really did die in his sleep." So. That was very shocking, considering like me and Scotty never discussed our personal lives too much. But we saw each other every week, almost every week at trivia. We co-founded the main team together. That I've met a lot of uh, friends through. Some of my siblings have come to trivia. Uh, a lot of my coworkers who used to work in the who used to work as cashiers and in the uh, front office while I had my pharmacy job. They also came to trivia frequently and know know them really well as well. So yeah, it's just a huge shock for everyone in the community. So that was the first thing that happened, and then Jan uh, and I had been waiting a few months to go jet skiing. I rode the jet ski for about four minutes. We can't even figure out exactly what happened, but I uh, we end up falling over in the jet ski, it flipped over upside down. We didn't know how to flip it back over. Jan uh, doesn't doesn't know how to swim, so that was even scarier for us. And eventually, we got. We got rescued and then yeah, the jet ski mafia came into play and wanted compensation for their damages, so that was about close to two hours of negotiations. And that's a I don't even want to get into it, it's a really long
0: story. <laughs> for the record, Logan messaged me on Sunday was this. Yeah. You messaged me and the first thing I said was, Is everyone okay? And then the second thing was like, How the bloody hell did you manage to do that?
1: Yeah um we're thinking i probably just cuz a warning beeping sound came on and the only thing we can think of is maybe i panicked and leaned instead of turned but i didn't, didn't think i was leaning that far over for it to flip over yeah so so that happened they had to bring in they had to try and bring in the jet ski from the middle of the sea and they needed six men to bring it back onto the onto the beach there we ended up paying about I think about 30% of what they were originally asking us for. It took a lot of haggling. And then with the jet ski mafia, they, we were doing a lot of research on this. This is a pro tip if you're coming to Phuket in Thailand. Uh, the jet ski owners have paid off people in the police. So when I came back to the hotel to get some money, I talked to the hotel owner and the hotel owner said, yeah, the, we know one person who works at the police station, but the jet ski crew have paid off several police officers. So if you end up going to the police, you may be charged a lot more once the police are involved, since they're being paid off by, essentially, by the jet ski mafia. <laughs> and then we were researching other stories about people who had to pay 10 times as much as what we paid, and just other horror stories. So overall, we're just, we're just glad we're safe, we're okay, we don't have any sort of organized crime people after us, so nuts to be thankful for.
0: But completely coincidentally, you are fleeing the country fairly soon.
1: Yeah, we're leaving. We're leaving pretty quick. I, yeah, finally out of. Th- I think feels like it's time to get out of Thailand. Not just because of wet season, but uh, yeah, it's time.
0: <laughs> when is it you're actually changing countries? Obviously, we're not going to say where yet. But um, I leave here on the. I think we leave on the
1: twenty fifth. Yeah, we're we're really excited for somewhere new. We were originally going to go to uh, another town in Thailand, but the money we paid off for the jet ski, we were thinking, hmm, maybe we'll save that bit of cash and do it next time we come to Thailand. (laughs) At least it wasn't an astronomical amount. So that happened. That was the second thing that happened. And then the third minor thing that happened is I suddenly raised my left arm and I completely pulled a muscle on my left side to the point that I could not even flip over in bed whatsoever. It hurt for me to even sit up or stand up. Gian, Gian looked very concerned when I was walking around or when I was trying to move whatsoever. So that happened. And then we went to the hospital to get uh my COVID booster and because of Scotty Scotty's unfortunate passing, jan has been experiencing some some health issues. So we tested her blood pressure. It turned out to be fatally high. Fatally high blood pressure. She got diagnosed with high blood pressure hypertension and the hospital kept her under observation for about an hour and a half total. They asked her the same questions over and over if she was feeling dizzy or lightheaded about 10 times <laughs> which she wasn't she had other symptoms and yeah they kept her in the hospital for yeah an hour and a half being overseen by nurses and the and a doctor and yeah she got prescribed some medications she's the symptoms she was having before we tested her blood pressure have greatly diminished even after 2 days of doses so on one hand it's unfortunate that you know Scotty passed but on the other hand it was that final bit of motivation for Jean to get herself checked out and if she didn't get checked out i mean she had faded like i think it was i think she got diagnosed with like 190 over 110 And that was after, that was like the fifth time we had it tested after she had laid down for like 20 minutes. It was at about 190 over 110. And I think the lowest it ever got down to was 170 over 110 was the absolute best reading we had out of the five tests.
0: That's dangerous.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a normal, I think the highest you want to be that's considered healthy is 120 over, 120 over 80, I think is the absolute highest you want to be to be in the healthy range. And then. Yeah, you can imagine if you're testing at 190 over 110, That's if you type in those numbers into any Google search, the first thing that pops up is you need to go to emergency right now. <laughs> Falling over in a jet ski may be the least of your problems. <laughs> yeah, so my, my general message to anyone listening out there, check your blood pressure. You never know what you're going to find out. And in this case, it probably saved Gian's life to get it checked and get into the emergency room.
0: And I've had a not as hectic a week as you, but I mean, we are recording this on Tuesday, as most people know, thanks to the discussions in the the Discord about certain things that happened in this episode. Tomorrow is uh, my dad's 60th birthday. Oh, well,
1: happy birthday to Ray.
0: Yeah, so he's uh, him and mum are away for a few days now, leaving me and Mark alone for his birthday. So we went out for, for dinner last night. To the pub? No, to a uh, restaurant this time. Because, oh, you okay. know, 60th. Fancy. <laughs> Fancy for the harmstones. <laughs> we went all out. Mom and Dad still paid. And this past weekend, I sorted everything out for, uh, for our little sojourn to uh, Brussels in a few weeks. Yeah, speaking of which, I'll
1: probably be booking that a flight to Brussels directly, um, or either Brussels or to Amsterdam or Luxembourg, whichever ends up being the cheapest way to get to Brussels.
0: <laughs> yeah, do it sooner rather than later, I would say, because I did find out, thanks to former Molly Elizabeth, that uh, the 8th of May, which is the day that is the finale, is also Mother's Day in uh, in Belgium, apparently. Oh, wow. So uh, that might explain why some of the hotels have been sold out. Oh, boy. I can't actually remember whether we've discussed the uh, the Antwerp hotel saga, but um, the hotel that I had on reservation hasn't even got capacity for when uh, when I was going to be there, which kind of sent me spiralling a little bit. But I've got it all sorted now. Just a, a light production meeting before we uh, before we get into the, the really fun stuff of this episode. So, let's now actually discuss the elephant in the room. And this is an elephant that, it's fair to say, has made a few waves internationally, because this is the first Belkier episode in Three years has been spoiled for me, I think. And it was spoiled because Gilles da Costa almost immediately after this episode went up, posted on Instagram all about this episode. And pretty much as soon as this episode finished, loads of Belgian newspapers had articles out about it. Presumably they had screeners. And pretty much as soon as it aired, loads of Dutch newspapers also had news about this happening. Because, as you said to me before we started recording, this has never happened before. in. However many mole seasons there have been worldwide, it's probably about 80 or 90 by now, and I'm sure Binders will correct me on that, never has a mole quit mid-season, publicly.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, well, no one's has had, what, 20... Well, depending if you
0: include Mole Junior,
1: what, 23, 24 seasons? 23 plus Mole Junior, yeah. Yeah, 23, and then this is obviously Belgium's 10th season, and then the American version you've got, well... We can't run through every version, but I was doing the math in my head anyway. And I was thinking, yeah, probably close to 40 seasons I've seen. And yeah, this is the one thing that people always guess, along with the mole not being unmasked. This this is one of two scenarios that people are always very curious what happens, what does production do when this occurs? And we even asked Jill DeCoster directly about this scenario less than a year ago. And it is the answer we got from him does not match what we saw in this episode.
0: For once, I will defend him slightly here, because he did guest on our friends over at Trust Nobody's podcast yesterday. They did a special episode with him all about this. And apparently the reasoning was that they really didn't want to cancel it. And it had got to the point where realistically they could still replace the mole and have the rest of the season still play out. If it had got much later, if Philippe had hung on for another episode or two, they probably would have had to cancel the season because they wouldn't have had enough time to put a new mole in place and actually give them the chance to be the mole. So because it was halfway through the season, they could still realistically go, well, technically it's now just two half seasons and we've got another mole taking over for the for the last half of the season.
1: Yeah, the Philippe half and then the other half of whoever has been chosen as the replacement.
0: I mean, from our point of view, obviously it's an absolute mess because we do the predictions pool. Which, I mean, I'm inclined to just carry those teams over and keep it the same. If you want to, yeah, I would just keep it simple. <laughs> With first suspicions, obviously we can't really just second those suspicions. Going. That's what I'm getting to. With first <laughs> suspicions, we can't really we can't really carry those over because there were. Spoilers two people who actually did end up getting the mole in number one here. So, for the first time ever, after next week's episode airs, in Belgium, Second Suspicions is launching. <laughs> I've been deeply in conversation with myself about how to actually make this work. Because, preferably, obviously I would launch it this week. But with the sheer amount of spoilers that would have been floating around had I put up loads of posts going, Oh my god, the mole quit! You can do Second Suspicions now! It's probably safer to let everyone have a little look at the new Moles actions next week, do the second Suspicions, and we just have two or three weeks of second Suspicions and announce winners for that, as well as the first Suspicions people who are going to be congratulated at the end of this episode. So, Paul will be carrying over with just teams of three now rather than teams of five, because it works out nicely, we've both only got three people left each. Second Suspicions will be launching after the next episode airs. And it's all scheduled and everything. I've already done everything for that.
1: I think Bother's Bar is very glad they did not do a suspect list for this season.
0: Oh yeah, Dan Pete doesn't even know yet. Dan's an episode behind because he was moving last weekend. So he has no idea that this has happened, I don't think. And I think he probably will send me a message just going, thank God I didn't do suspect list. This would have been a mess. <laughs> but yeah, th- this is the exact same kind of dilemma I've had over the past few days, and obviously got spoiled on Sunday night about this, and ended up watching it yesterday afternoon. And I've been thinking, basically, what the easiest and fairest things to do is. And unless it was you who'd won, I couldn't carry first suspicions over. I have to do second suspicions to make it fair to everyone.
1: So, did Jill give any extra insight behind, you know, from what we didn't see in the episode?
0: Well, it sounded like they weren't surprised. It was more of a mutual decision than we saw from from what I've heard. It had basically got to the point, like what we assumed with Naylor last week, where someone sat him down and went, do you think you can continue? Because don't worry if you can't, you're not a failure. But it's getting to the point where we need an answer as to whether you can continue or not, because if you do continue, you're here till the end of the season, then we can't let you leave without cancelling the season.
1: And that's a lot of pressure to put on to put on Philippe.
0: Yeah. There was one big thing that wasn't mentioned in the actual episode, but was mentioned in Café du Molle, which is that after the Cactus Challenge in, in Episode 1, Philippe started sleep-talking when he was in a room with Bert and lamenting the fact that the team had won €3,000 in that challenge. And Bert confronted him off-camera and said, I heard you sleep-talking. A you the mole, basically. And after that point, he didn't sleep. He only got naps on the toilet because that was the only place he felt safe. So for oh, nine no. days, he did not sleep. That's terrible. He did a John Mark. That's the reason he left.
1: I wish they that would have been a, I think the public would have accepted it a lot better if they had that detail. I can understand if they weren't able to film it, but.
0: Yeah, from what I've heard, the Belgian public is obviously incredibly sympathetic to this, as they were with Naylor last week. But yeah, apparently he he basically was just paranoid and sleep deprived, which is why he ended up leaving the game.
1: Yeah, that's so. If he didn't sleep, talk, he probably would still be there by the sounds of it, because he would have a clear head and would figure out how he could uh, how he could sabotage each challenge.
0: Yeah, it was just that it was a spiral basically because. He did the sleep talking, which then meant that people were on to him, which then meant he felt like a failure, which then meant that he was more worried about it, which then meant he didn't sleep as much, which then meant he failed more, and that it just became a, a vicious cycle, basically.
1: Because everyone was on to him. He couldn't that means he couldn't do anything subtle, no subtle sabotages
0: for him. I don't know whether everyone was on to him, but definitely was. And by the sound of things, him and Uma went all in on him on episode two's Tied Destiny's Execution. But yeah, I I don't know how many people were actually onto him, but the paranoia of somebody definitely being onto him and somebody having a hundred percent on probably every test as a result of it meant that he then started feeling more like a failure.
1: I wonder if what change that might happen for next season is everyone gets their own room.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that. It's probably the easiest solution. I think they'll probably end up doing more tests with the person they pick as the mole as well, off screen to make sure that they're able to cope with the immense mental pressure that being the mole comes with.
1: Yeah, that's a very underrated aspect. It's not just the contestants, such as Jean-Marc, who comes under complete stress, but the the fact that the mole is the centerpiece of this whole thing, and if the mole isn't succeeding, then the mole isn't succeeding. Yeah. And you can tell in the past... In the past few episodes they were doing really well in the challenges overall and i'm sure he was just annoyed like i can't get any momentum going he probably felt like he was running up against a brick wall too for the last three episodes
0: oh yeah because the team have been very successful and basically stonewalling him even
1: with the design like one thing that when i point out that seemed really off to me in my notes when they were figuring out the three groups for the drag queen challenge and then philippe was super quiet and reserved and he just kind of quietly said yeah i guess he'll be a designer as if he had no desire to be in any of the three groups and then even during the challenge uh, he let anka take complete charge of the designing task and he did very he contributed very little i know that was part of the sabotage but it was to the point where he was super reserved and was just letting the group dictate what would happen each challenge. I bet you that was the huge red flag for a production where they intervened and told Philippe and probably asked him, you know, this isn't going to get any easier. The group is smaller. That means you're going to be under a microscope even more.
0: To so what the, the revelations from Café de Mol, thanks to Philippe on, uh, on the Bothers Bar Discord, were... It started to unravel for Philippe after the cactus balloon challenge on day two. This is actually mentioned in episode one by Bert. He revealed he was the mole in his sleep, saying how disappointed he was that they earned €3,000, and Bert being able to repeat this back to him literally. As a result, Philippe gets anxious and basically refuses to sleep because he doesn't want to make the same mistake again. He mentions taking naps on the toilet because that's the only place where he felt safe doing so. Bert mentions in episode two to Uma in the pear challenge how tired Philippe gets in the evenings and not to write him off. They then say they went all in on one person, I assume Philippe. Because of a lack of sleep, he wasn't in shape to sabotage well and be quick on his feet, and was suffering from intense paranoia. Production tried their best to convince him he was actually doing well, but Philippe mentions he was suffering from tunnel vision himself. Philippe's doing well now, post-show he was supervised by a production therapist. My opinion, a big applause to production for being able to shift gears in the way they did. From what Jill said on Café de Mol, it really does seem like they genuinely take mental and physical health very seriously, and it's not something hollow that they said on the episode.
1: Yeah, these are two two very, very unique episodes to air back-to-back. We get our first, essentially our first medical evacuation due to a physical injury, and now we lose somebody due to a mental injury.
0: Yeah, and not just someone,
1: but we lose the mole. The, mole. <laughs> the centerpiece.
0: <laughs> there is no way to understate it. The mole has never left the game early before publicly. And I say publicly, obviously, because as we mentioned it may or may not have happened in a Vista mole season fairly early on. We don't know still.
1: I can only imagine Netherlands and Belgium, they're watching news like, and this is the latest in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Oh, wait, wait, we have to interrupt you. Breaking news, the mole has quit.
0: <laughs> it has genuinely made massive news in Benelux. It's quite startling how much, how much of a big thing this has become in both Belgium and the Netherlands.
1: Well, it's going to be a huge, I mean, in the past two years, the main discussion point has been about mental health, especially through the pandemic. And here we have a prime example on the biggest TV show in the Benelux area of somebody suffering from a mental health issue and needing help to get through it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I say this time and time again, and I'm thinking back to our Georgia coverage. I love it when things go wrong for production. And they have to scramble. I've made no secret of the fact that it delights me when players especially get the best of production and they have to adapt on the fly as well. And I feel so bad for the Belgian team here. It's the first time ever when something like this has happened and I've gone, actually, I feel really, really bad for them. Because you know as well as I do that after Vietnam, Gilles loved the season, as does pretty much anyone who's seen it. But he said to us at the finale, I never want to have to pick a mole on location again. It was so stressful. And now he has to do it again. Yeah, not only are they having to do it again, but they're having to do it halfway through the season when everybody is already up in each other's business. That is a really tough challenge for anyone to get involved with.
1: And it's a super fascinating one. I don't want to see this happen ever again, but I just want to see it happen once where the mole quits halfway through. And they do pick a new mole because there's a lot of mind games. If if I had to make a prediction, they're going to earn very little money over the next, what, what is it, four rounds left? Four rounds left to play? They're not going to earn that much money. And everyone's going to try and act like the mole as much as possible, I would assume. There has to be a lot of mind games that are going to go on. But what would be even crazier is if the next person they choose also talks in their sleep and reveals they're the mole, and then acquits at final four, and then they have to pick a new mole at final three.
0: I would have laughed so hard if the first question that we saw Jill ask everyone is, "Do you sleep talk?"
1: <laughs> Imagine if that was the question on the first quiz too. Like, did the, the mole reveal that they're the mole in the first after the first challenge of the game?
0: <laughs> I mean, fascinating is the word that I used. When I first found out about this, because it is really, really interesting. And I saw a comment from someone on Sunday going, Oh, the season's ruined now. There's no way they can come back from this. At least, uh, no. at least, Vidum was good this year. And I'm like, Oh, no, this is not just really interesting. It's delicious for production to have to adapt to on the fly. And also, it's really compelling storytelling for them, anyway. This is, in a way, actually a godsend for production because not only does it really get people talking about the show it shows how good their duty of care is especially coming off the back of the nailer elimination and also they can tell a story they have never been able to tell before which is what happens when when a mole quits. what happens when they have to adapt on the fly to to save a season
1: and how how will the contestants adapt to it too Because there's no playbook for for this situation. It's never happened before. A contestant has never gone into the mole thinking, okay, what do I do if the mole drops out halfway through when there's a new mole that's picked after I've gotten to know everybody really well over the past 11 days? So now everyone's going to be really examining everyone's behavior because now they know, okay, before everyone else wasn't the mole. Now we have to identify who's acting slightly different but everyone else is going to be thinking the same thing, and they want to be the decoy, so they're all going to try and act slightly different too. So I think there's going to be a a lot of sabotage. And the mall may not even have to
0: do that much to get money out of the pot, because it's just going to be all pure mind games now. It's also delicious irony that the entire first episode hinged around the phrase, will history repeat itself? And inadvertently, for production, history has repeated itself. (laughs)
1: Yeah, they're picking them, and that's why they had the Elizabeth uh, quote at the start of the episode.
0: It is not from Mexico. Mexico should have been this week, but uh, they tipped their hat slightly by having Elizabeth be the the intro quote. Presumably from well, it must have been from the finale when she said it was so difficult and wonderful at the same time. Yeah, people have used that quote to describe other things in life, I'm sure. But it, I'm, I'm I'm ignoring you. Um, <laughs> But this happening mid-season also is super fascinating because it explains why we've had stuff like the briefings of the mole. Because we were really wondering where the briefings of the mole came from because we're used to diaries of the mole. And it it set up this perfect four-episode arc of the mole not necessarily being able to cope and struggling.
1: Remember when I was joking that each week the, the briefing should be of the mole just breaking down more and more? It basically was it it, it really happened especially when what was it at the start of the episode we had philippe say oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna puncture that tire no problem i'll be able to do it and then he wasn't able to puncture the tire presumably because multiple people are really onto him and keeping an eye on him and it's kind of poetic because later on the designing challenge they had that task of needing to hammer the nail through the stump within six tries and then Philippe wasn't able to do that either. So I could see it where, because of his lack of sleep, the physical strength required to do basic sabotages. Well, I mean, he was fine with the hammer through the nail because he, if you're not physically strong enough, you're, you're inadvertently sabotaging it. But uh, the fact that he just couldn't puncture the tire, probably due to overall lack of energy, it's just fascinating overall how that came into play for two, for two separate
0: tasks. The really fun thing about this episode as well, setting aside Philippe's exit from the game, is something I cut from last week's podcast, but I think if there was ever a mole episode that you would never want to participate in, it would be this one. This is a Logan Saunders Nightmare episode. Oh, biking, yes. (laughs) Yeah, because you can't ride a bike, and your hatred for, um, for people being forced to do drag is quite well known.
1: However, I do want to say, I wrote this in my notes too, out of all the times they'd ever done like drag tasks on reality TV shows, it's more like a point and laugh type of deal. But here, I think it was really, really well done. It wasn't a point and laugh at the person scenario. I thought it was really well done overall.
0: As with pretty much everything that the Belgian production team do, there was the authenticity there that made it work.
1: Yes. Yeah, they went all in on it. And then... Manu and... <laughs> Manu's charades.
0: We are going to talk about that soon. <laughs> so, previously, the final eight piston in a bottle for Papa Bear before splitting up for three separate challenges. Manu struggled with diving, but it was Nayla's ongoing struggles with her leg that was the most cause for concern. After a doctor diagnosed her with a muscle tear, the other seven tried to launch a rocket before their last night in Lanzarote saw a twist at the test where they could earn valuable information about whether each other could lie. However, Naylor made the big decision to leave on health grounds, cancelling the execution. And it is day 8, and they are on a ferry to Gran Canaria. She asks us whether each of the final seven could be the mole, and he specifically asks, who carries the heavy burden, who is the mole? As we said, the opening title is, It was so difficult and wonderful at the same time, from Vietnam's mole, Elizabeth. Skipping the Mexico season for now. And then we open the episode with a very early briefing of them all, explaining how they are going to try and sabotage the opening challenge.
1: And very confident that he'll be able to pull it off.
0: And they wake up on day nine in Gran Canaria. They are in Cortijo San Ignacio. They see cycling jerseys and a tablet waiting for them. Sven hates cycling and says he hasn't ridden a bike in 10 years. And Jens reveals that he did test to become a racing cyclist when he was younger. Ankara Uma, if it's true, you go commando in cycling shorts, which it is. She uses the frankly disgusting description of letting the clam loose in the cloth. It's just a mental image. Yeah, you we know, you
1: find out, yeah, but also Uma, yeah, Uma goes commando.
0: And they are heading to Branco de Guayadeque, scored to Iggy Pops, the passenger, which is specifically stated to be on the Moles playlist because it's all about being a passenger. Gilles tells them that they will be racing up a mountain on a route that is eight kilometers long. They can earn up to €3,000 for the pot if they win, but to have a race they need an opponent, and he brings in professional cyclist Thomas de Kent. He has previously won the Mont Ventoux stage of the Tour de France, and come third in the Giro d'Italia. The good news is that not everyone will be riding all the way, only one person has to ride all 8 kilometers. that person will be determined by the physical test that they did at KU Leuven a month before departing unsurprisingly given what we know about the group Jens was by far and away the leader and will be the person who has to ride all eight kilometers
1: how did Germany Jens fall for this too
0: I don't know I know you tweeted about this and I did I posted a message in the discord about this one. I thought exactly the same thing it's getting ridiculous now I don't know how they keep convincing him <laughs> that he has to do all these challenges and I really 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 hope that the reunion has scenes of him having to do all eight of these challenges that they're going to inevitably put them through. (laughs) uh,
1: He's going down as one of the most gullible human beings of all time.
0: Last week's episode title did translate, apparently, as the most gullible yens in the world, inspired by your brilliant pun. Surprisingly, no one has corrected the Dutch on that, so I'm assuming it's correct. But he really is the most gullible person I think they've ever had on this show if he's done all four of these challenges so far. I don't understand how he keeps falling for it. Like the preview
1: for next week showed a water slide. Did he do a bunch of waterslide testing too?
0: When they said, oh no, this is just for a dating show. Yeah, but he did it in the Ardennes. That was the problem. They set up a, uh, a water slide in the Ardennes for him.
1: <laughs> yeah. That would be
0: freezing. Their route is 18km shorter than Thomas's, determined by the experts to be the exact amount required for him to arrive at the same time as Jens. The other six have three potential finish lines and have to decide who stops where, and they pair up Anker and Manu for €500, Umar and Sven for 1000 and Philippe and Bertz for 1500 They only earn that money if Thomas doesn't beat the duo to their respective finish line, and only earn any money if Jens isn't beaten to the top of the mountain. Obviously I'm way more up on my cycling than you are, And I have to say, Thomas had a few very unfair advantages here. It is a bit unfair to them that they weren't provided with proper cycling shoes with clip-in ability. Obviously, it's probably a little bit of a liability with certain people in this cast, but it makes you significantly more efficient. Thomas also is wearing a proper cycling skin suit, which is significantly more aerodynamic. So he would have been much faster as a result of that. They're the two main advantages that he had, other than, you know, being a professional cyclist and being much better at cycling than any of them.
1: Yeah, he started how many kilometers back of them? 18? That's a fairly decent equalizer.
0: Yeah, the other thing that is worth flagging as well is that Jens says he was training to become a professional racing cyclist. And racing cycling is a completely different discipline to being a mountain climbing cyclist.
1: Yeah, long distance, right? A lot more strenuous, a lot more cardio involved.
0: Sprinters, obviously, short distance, maximum power. Climbers, obviously, are basically mountain goats and much better over a, a hillier terrain. And as they said at one point, I think I think the last stage of this race was 15% gradient at one point. Yeah,
1: right before the end, right where the e-bikes were.
0: Yeah, which is absolutely bonkers to even think about having to pedal of. So Anchor and Manu end up being only a kilometre from their finish line, but Thomas catches up quickly. They can stop Thomas in his tracks by doing a track stand, balancing on their pedals without touching the ground. As long as they are balancing, he cannot move on. Anchor plays psychological games with Thomas, but they only last a total of 40 seconds, and then Gilles picks them up in the support vehicle and is not exactly kind to them.
1: wonder how bored... How bored would you have to be to balance like that for an hour and three minutes
0: knowing cyclists i'm not surprised um track stands as the name suggests is more of a um a thing on the velodrome which i have done once and was absolutely terrifying it's more of a thing because you are obviously at a particular start line you have to you don't want to be stood on the ground while everyone else is getting a standing start basically so you have to learn to track stand and be able to balance on the pedals so I'm not surprised someone has done that for an hour. Imagine being the person who keeps trying to break that record, and
1: then you find it. Oh, you lasted an hour and two minutes, an hour and one minute, an hour and two minutes and twenty seconds.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's obviously a ridiculously difficult thing to do, especially if you've never tried to do it before. As I suspect, Anchor and Manu haven't. It requires a very good sense of balance. So Sven still has 300 meters to pedal, but Thomas is only 800 meters behind him. They can stop Thomas at the second line too by naming as many Belgian Tour de France stage winners as possible since the year 2000, and apparently there are 13 of them. Philippe reaches the second line and has to be told he's got one more to go. Sven reaches the line and beats Thomas there to potentially earn them a €1,000. And then Sven proves his trivia credentials by rattling off five different correct answers. Each correct answer gives Thomas a 10-second penalty, but as soon as they name one incorrect cyclist, he can start moving again. Philippe then falls behind, still having 250 metres to cut his line, and Thomas is 600 metres behind him. Bert reaches the third line, where he can hold Thomas up one more time. However, he needs Philippe there to do it. Philippe gets a cramp and struggles just about crossing the line before Thomas turns the corner. They can stop him moving by doing the by Bayard classic mini-challenge of holding stones above a wire between two posts. As soon as one of them hits the rope and breaks it, Thomas can start moving. I
1: wonder with Thomas, with the. I really hope that his water bottle actually had water in it, because if memory serves me correct, not all water bottles on the season are filled with actual water.
0: Oh no, it was Naylor's Piss Bottle. We never saw Naylor's Piss Bottle again. It was just Naylor's, Naylor's sample.
1: Producers think of everything.
0: <laughs> We've penalized Thomas further by giving him our own electrolyte <laughs> drink Naylor's Piss Bottle.
1: Then we'll tell him, no, no,
0: this is the real water bottle, and it'll be a
1: thermos containing containing very
0: hot coffee. <laughs> so Gilles gives Jens an ultimatum when he's a kilometre away from the end. He can halve the amount that they're playing for, but in return he will get an electric bike to help him pedal. It is waiting for him right at the last kilometre, and he decides to take the offer and swaps for the e-bike.
1: I don't know, that was really suspicious. He really went up in my suspect
0: list. This is the thing. We're now doing a podcast where I mention suspicious things and we both just have to go, yeah, they're not actually suspicious because he wasn't the mole.
1: It's all for naught.
0: Yeah. This is, not for the first time with us, utterly pointless speculation, and it's delightful. He went up to number four on my suspect list after this task. Were you still doing your suspect list up until the Philippe quit?
1: Yeah, up until he announced he was quitting. And my god, Philippe was number five. Once again, someone who I did not suspect to be the mole went home. Even though that person was the mole. That's how bad my luck has been all season.
0: So Jens gets some support from the crowd as he pedals past people at picnic tables. The support car are disappointed to see that he took the e-bike he's only 400 metres away, but Thomas is very much catching up. And he crosses the line, early in the team 1,500 euros of 3,000 for the challenge. Thomas is 52 seconds behind him, less than the total of what the team slowed him down for. Anker asks if he's coming for a drink, and he, of course, says yes. Now, the one thing that I do need to mention, on the subject of Philippe not being able to pop the tyre, it might not be that he didn't have the strength. It might just be that production stitched him up a little bit. Because up until yen-switched bikes. They were on proper road bikes. There is a non-zero chance that they had tubeless tires on. If they had tubeless tires on, the two main types of tires that you can have on a road bike, I know this is getting into a cycling podcast, but the two main types of tire you can have are tubed and non-tubed, tubeless. Tubed ones are very much the standard ones where you put the inner tube in and blow it up with air. Tubeless have air in them, but it's got a sealant in it. So if you have a, a puncture on a tubeless tyre, like, for example, with the thumbtack, like Philippe tried to do, it might seal itself back up again straight away. Interesting. So that might have been why he struggled. He may have got unlucky with the fact that they had tubeless tyres on those bikes. I don't know. Poor
1: Philippe, that he's probably already at his mental breaking point. And you can probably just see the frustration of the tyre not puncturing.
0: I will also say is. Quite hilarious that in any other situation, I think they probably would have given Thomas a um, a mole-themed jersey to wear as, as the opponent, but of course, because he's a professional cyclist and sponsored by certain companies, he did have to wear his Lotto Soudal kit. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, he won't have been allowed to wear another, um, another kit, even if it wasn't a sponsored kit or another team's kit. He will have had to wear his Lotto Soudal one. Are there any famous Canadian
1: cyclists that are well-known in Europe?
0: Uh, Lowell Taylor? He's won. Well,
1: that wasn't a contestant on Amazing Race Canada. Uh,
0: not that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure someone will, uh, will write in and, and tell me, but I can't think of any any um, famous Canadian ones.
1: Yeah, because it's just the idea that people can
0: make a ton of money
1: off of various cycling competitions, which just blow people's minds in Canada. All we know of is the Tour de France as this funny little event that happens every summer,
0: and that's about it. There has been exactly one Canadian who's won a stage at the Tour de France.
1: Out of like thousands of stages they've done in the Tour de France over the past 50 or 60 years. Yeah, and that was 1988. I think that was the same year Canada was in the World Cup of Soccer. And then we're in the World Cup, uh, not not for 2022, but for 2026, I believe they qualified. They won't have qualified yet, I don't think. Hang on. Or no, maybe it is for this one. That's how little I pay attention to soccer.
0: <laughs> Hang on. Well, the, the next World Cup is the end of this year. It's in December. Yeah, Qatar. Yeah, they are in the World Cup. Awesome. Oh, they're in the same group as Belgium. Ah, don't tell Jill that then. He'll be trolling you. So yeah, in summary, in terms of Wikipedia at least, there are no famous Canadian... Cyclists. Now, it's been a a recurring thing this season where they've been a little bit coy about when they actually filmed, and I can tell you we do now have a definitive answer on that because day one was November fourth, and the reason I know this is because of a website called Strava. Are you aware of Strava? Nope, never heard of it. So, Strava is like Facebook for people who want to brag about their physical achievements.
1: Oh, like Endomondo. Okay.
0: Yeah, um, but one of the people who wants to brag about their achievements is professional cyclist Thomas De Kent, <laughs> who, in fact, uploaded the entire bike ride that he did on this day to his Strava on November twelfth. Is there a clue on his route? Does the did his row? Well,
1: I guess the clue doesn't have doesn't help anymore when the mole has quit after that task. <laughs>
0: No, but from that I can tell you that the ride up the the mountain took him about 1 hour and 17 minutes, and the ride down the mountain only took him 33. Uh, The climb from the sea was 3,438 feet, and he averaged 15.1 miles an hour. And his maximum, which I believe was on the downhill section, was 48.7 miles an hour. And it was 62% humidity.
1: It's a fair amount of humidity.
0: Hence why he was absolutely <laughs> knackered when he was at the top of that mountain. It's also fun to note that looking at his Strava, which as a professional athlete he does not have restricted to the public's view, which is incredibly entertaining for this podcast, um, it looks like he literally just flew into the Canary Islands for this challenge and then flew back home. Did a drink with them? Yeah, he, he didn't upload another ride in the Canary Islands.
1: This is this next one, I guess,
0: just when he gets back to Belgium. Yeah, his next one, weirdly, was actually in Leuven, in Belgium. So it looks like there was a non-zero chance that he flew in for this challenge and then flew out again a few days later. Oh, a few days, okay. I'd guess a few days later. You wouldn't fly in from Belgium, do a bike ride, and then fly back and everything. You'd presumably spend a few days there.
1: Maybe he's a busy dude.
0: Yeah, but I just think it was incredibly entertaining that, that my hunch that he might have played on Strava was indeed correct. And finally gives us a definitive answer on when this season actually filmed. So we get our first Diary of the Mole of the season, which is that the group shares everything with each other and is extremely intelligent. As the mole, that said easy. And if, like today, you're unlucky with the tyre I wanted to puncture, but it wouldn't puncture, I don't even know anymore. Until now, I've never really failed at anything in my life, but I feel like I have the past few days. And yeah, that crushes me a little. And
1: Uma has a really interesting confessional where she says that she thinks... Philippe isn't feeling well. Either he is the mole, or genuinely sick. However, as we find out later, he is the mole, and is genuinely sick.
0: And they are in Las Palmas on day 10. Everyone's still recovering from their exertion the day before, and Gilles comes in and tells them that they're not far from Maspalomas. Whereas luck would have it, gay pride is happening. He's first looking for three men without stage fright. Sven immediately volunteers, I don't think I've ever seen anyone put their hand up faster. As does Bert, as he hopes they will quote-unquote paint him like a drag queen. Philippe says he would rather not, which leaves Jens as the third man to do it. Yeah, they really, those three guys are ready to put the ass in mass poulons. So, the other four then split into two DJs and two set designers. Imra and Manu volunteer as DJs, leaving Anchor and Philippe to be the set designers. And as she's leaving, Manu does tell the guys to remember to shake their asses.
1: Yeah, Manu has a vulgar sense of humor throughout this
0: episode, especially during charades. I don't know how anyone can hate Manu. She is very much my kind of people in this episode.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, me and you would probably get along with Manu really, really well in real life.
0: Oh god, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to meeting Manu in a few weeks. I think she would be very fun. You know how we always get a good vibe from at least one person in a season, whether that be... Someone like Human Golden Retriever Axel, or known villain Bart. I feel like very much Manu is our kind of people. So Bert, Sven and Jens will become drag queens and have an appointment with local drag phenomenons, Geo and Dave. They will be judged by a professional jury later and can win up to 3,000 jurors for the pot with a great performance. They begin by learning to walk in heels and... Perhaps unsurprisingly, is scored by a very breathy version of these boots made for walking. Burn is walking like he's on stilts. Yeah, if I if I was a bit luckier, there would have been a chance that Jens' fall here would have been our banner. Because his ankle goes sideways. And it is very entertaining. Jens is another person who, perhaps unsurprisingly, especially after last week's discussions about how much I love Jens. He's very much the sort of person who I'm very much looking forward to meeting, because he is very enthusiastic no matter what he does. I think that's the best way to describe him. He's just incredibly enthusiastic and happy to be there. And it's infectious.
1: Imagine if Nayla was still in the game. She would have had to do the cycling challenge, which I think (laughs) she'd have to quit after two seconds. And then imagine her trying to be a DJ.
0: Obviously, we're going to get onto the DJing because I'm not sure I've laughed as hard at anything in The Mole this year as I did when the terrible recorder version of Wrecking Ball started playing. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like an elementary school fifth grade class playing it. <laughs> Maybe Jill played it himself. That would be
0: funnier. I don't know whether we've ever discussed my love of Bad Woodwind, but oh, it makes me laugh. And it was just so unexpected. You obviously have Gilles saying, skipping ahead slightly, Gilles saying, Because they didn't manage to get this uh, get this song, they're going to have a uh, a less professional mix. And it starts playing the proper version of Wrecking Ball, and you're like, Hmm, maybe they're just gonna have to, you know, do a bit of do a bit of mixing like they did in the uh, in the Columbia finale or or something like that. And then it just fades into The worst rendition of Wrecking Ball on a recorder you could ever imagine. I mean, we praise their comic timing so much on this show. But that comic timing was flawless. It was just beautiful. Just the pure confusion. And the fact that there was absolutely nothing that they could have done about it. And instead, Sven had to kind of sexily dance to a children's recorder version of Wrecking Ball. If I'm not
1: mistaken, I think at one point during the montage of showing them prepare the, um, the performance and the designer set, I could have sworn there was a remix of PIMP by 50 Cent playing.
0: Yeah, I think there was. This challenge was way funnier than I was anticipating. I think that's the best way to describe it. It was just way funnier than I was anticipating. So Anchor and Philippe must decorate three backdrops. Initially, with a basic set of supplies, they can earn a second table of supplies by hitting a nail into a stump in six hits or less, and each get one attempt. This is also, just like with the holding a stone over the wire, a mini game from Fort Ard. So this week's theme is Fort Ard. And
1: uh, Anka really comes off really suspicious here because she was so close to getting that nail through, and she mess- messed up on her last hit.
0: It is actually surprisingly difficult to complete that challenge correctly and win it, I would say. It's a tough mini game to win that. Because you've got to be both strong and accurate with it. And it's much tougher than you would anticipate, I think.
1: And people who don't really hammer nails too often are going to be a bit nervous that they're going to hit their finger by accident when it's a strength-based challenge like that.
0: Because you also have absolutely no buffer with it you can't really afford to not hit the nail properly, which adds to the pressure on it. So they obviously fail. Philippe's isn't even halfway in and Anchor gets close but fails. They can earn a third table by building a stool that is sturdy enough to support one of them in the space of five minutes. They succeed, and Anka sees the potential in a pair of unicorns. Uma and Manu have to introduce the drag queens and start the music from the mixing desk, but first they have to earn the music. To do that, they're going to play the Czechia classic, of silent disco charades. Uma starts with Man I Feel Like a Woman, and Manu, let's be honest, has a bit of a dirty mind, and her guess ends up being, quote-unquote, Pussy and Boobs.
1: That'd be more like a Cardi B song instead of a Shania Twain song.
0: Normally with an error like this I would Google it, but I am 100% not Googling whether there is actually a song called Pussy and Boobs like B, because I am not getting put on a watch list because of Demol here. yeah don't google WAP either <laughs> on that note have you heard the kid spot version of WAP
1: no that sounds like something Saturday Night Live would do <laughs> I wish they would have had to act out WAP in the charades <laughs> then Manu would have gone in like two seconds
0: well, if you think back to the Czechia version of this, they were all reasonably tame. The worst it got was, was Pikachu trying to impersonate Dolly Parton with the boobs. Yeah. This one we have, Man, I feel like a woman, then I'm too sexy.
1: Man, whose guess is there. I believe her sequence was fuck, then sex, then sexy. And then it was like, yes, you're actually close to the right answer.
0: (laughs) And then we had Upside Down, and I'm presuming another song as well, because obviously there was the song that they all performed together. So I'm assuming there was one that Manu probably had so many dirty guesses they couldn't physically air it.
1: That's quite the feat. if, If you say something that gets censored by Belgian television,
0: So yeah, obviously Manu doesn't get the first song, and as a result, they have an unsuitable song in the mix, which we do later find out is the frankly amazing, terrible recorder version of Wrecking Ball. The second song is I'm Too Sexy, Manu somehow guesses it after a few false starts, including just screaming the word fuck at her. (laughs) Anka then reminds us that Philippe looks a bit depressed, he doesn't do arts and crafts often, but he wanted to do the music, and the other two were just a bit too quick for him.
1: Oh, so that's where the sabotage it was supposed to be, was on the music.
0: Yeah, I mean, even if we didn't know Philippe was the uh, the mole, I think you probably would want to be on the music. Either music or drag queen.
1: Because you're impacting two of the three tasks.
0: Yeah, because if you keep making them have to use terrible recorder versions, not only is it hilarious anyway when you can say that that's the sabotage, but also it then means that the drag queens have to sexily dance to children's recorder versions of popular music. Like, I would have loved to hear the terrible recorder version of Toxic, for example.
1: Yeah, you would have, you would have lost a lot, of the,
0: a lot of the beats. So Jens and Bert go into the bathroom to decide what facial hair they want to have as drag queens, and Sven asks the drag queens to make him colourful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like a rainbow.
0: And then the drag queens come out, and Sven looks absolutely no different. He just looks like Sven in makeup. It's something that Papa Bear ends up talking about when he talks to Sven about potentially being the mole. Like, Sven doesn't really react to things. He would clean up in a game of poker, I think, because he just is very passive facially. And it makes it way funnier in a challenge like this, where he obviously looks ridiculous. But he just looks like Sven with makeup on. Yeah, you can't
1: tell if he's enjoying himself or if he's not enjoying himself.
0: No, it's like Raymond Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, all his moods just seem to be the same. And I'm saying this as someone who very much loves Fenn. He's a brilliant character. But his lack of reactions is just delightful to watch in the background.
1: Hence why I think he he was near the top of my suspect list.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So there are 50 points that can be earned by the jury, 10 for the decor... 10 for the music, and 30 for the drag queens. Uma and Manu start their first song, which is Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball, which then fades into a bad woodwind cover of Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball, and Sven does have to just keep dancing. Jens is then up, and he gets his actual song, which is toxic, and he's surprisingly good at it, as they all say. Uma then guessed Diana Ross' is Upside Down, so Bert gets the correct music. However, Uma and Manu manage to play Jens's song again, Bert styles it out but then falls in his heels and they eventually get the right music which is Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. That was a pretty molly action right there. If only any of them were molly. <laughs> yeah. Jill then tells him afterwards that he's speechless so he will hand over to the jury.
1: Yeah, Jill is like if I say anything I know it's going to come off as offensive by accident so I'm just
0: you guys just, just, just judge this for me. <laughs> what do I say as mole host here? Yeah and i say they look lovely
1: yeah jill is probably thinking okay we just had someone medically evacuated last episode Philippe is planning to quit probably by the end of the day and the task we're doing involves recorders drag queens and unicorns and this is the 10th anniversary or the 10th season anniversary special <laughs>
0: If they get 30 points or more from the jury, they will earn 1,000 euros. For 35 points, it's 2,000, and for 40 points, it's 3,000 euros. For the decoration, they get 7 points, and the music, they get 4, perhaps unsurprisingly. For the drag queens, they get 9, 7, and 8, respectively, for a total of 35 points, and 2,000 euros of 3,000 for the challenge, 3,500 of 6,000 for the episode, and 16,350 of 41,600 for the season so far. Which is one of the highest ratios for money earned. It is. As you said earlier, though, I suspect that that ratio is probably going to drop next week. Yep. And they go to dinner, still in their makeup, Bert says it was a bucket list moment to do it for him. They wake up on day 11. And there is no sign of Philippe at breakfast. He disappeared the previous night. Was he kidnapped? As did his suitcases. He comes on the screen and he's wearing an iron mask. And do they have to find him at a nearby lighthouse? I'm strapped to the rocket that we launched last episode. <laughs> I would love it if they did a um, a sort of mole classic challenge at some point, like the man in the eye mask. It's probably a little bit late in the season for them to do it now, sadly, but we've not seen that challenge done in years. The last one, I suppose, was uh, Hannah's kidnapping in uh, Argentina. Yeah, with the pizza. They are worried about him being burned out, and apparently he has been struggling for days. Jill meets him in the courtyard next to a screen, Philippe leaves him a message. He explains that he's been quiet for a few days, and that he was the mole they were searching for. I
1: thought with Jill's sense of humour that there was going to be like a really dr- dramatic pause, and then the screen clicks back on, and Philippe says, Kidding. Gotcha. I'm just quitting. I was a contestant. Bye. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually the Mole. Nay.
0: (laughs) In his briefing on day one, he was relieved that he seemed to be doing well. By day four, he was mad at himself. We see more of the briefings of the Mole that we have seen during the season, including him finding out that Naylor had just said that it definitely isn't Philippe. By day six, he was already cracking. He wasn't enjoying himself by day seven. The feeling of failure over the past few days led him to be out of sorts. As a result, he has left the game and his role as the Mole.
1: I think nearly everyone was on him as the mall.
0: Yeah, I don't know because obviously we we haven't been told that. I'm hoping we'll find that out at the reunion because that will be very interesting. Yeah, because we figure what, at least two two of the other six were on him, right? But 100% was. Uma presumably was after the Tide Destiny's execution, but we don't know that for certain. She may have just done it as a one-off and then not Suspected him as much I don't know I don't know either We know for a fact that Burt was going all in on him Since week two Because it would be a bit odd For
1: somebody to quit With only having one or two people on him you think the production crew would say Hey there's only one or two people who are on you That's normal uh, By the halfway point of the season
0: Yeah I think this is probably the best The best time to talk about it Obviously, they handled this wonderfully. We went into this in great detail last week about how kind the Belgian production crew are, how much they care. I mean, we've seen that just a little bit from from how much Gilles um, and Lisa and everyone on the production crew has endured our bullshit, for want of a better term, and how they keep inviting us back, including in three or four weeks' time. Do you think that... Philippe was up to being the mole? I know it's a tough question.
1: It's a tough question to answer without reviewing the episodes once more. I think it's almost like the a situation where, in the perfect conditions, yes, but when anything goes wrong physically or mentally, maybe the answer is a slight no, probably not. I mean, that's a pretty big curveball to be thrown at on the first day to find out that you're a, that you're a sleep talker
0: <laughs> as the mole. I think for me, comparing him to all the other moles that we have seen, I think he's let stuff affect him a lot more, which is not necessarily a good quality for a mole.
1: You need the mole to be a bit colder or really, really embrace the, really embrace it as a game. You have to be detached to a certain extent, which is why they test people so hard to see if they can, I mean, it's not like they just picked somebody at random out of the 11 people. Clearly, production, I mean, there's 10,000 people who probably applied for this season, more, 20,000, whatever the hell it was. I know it's enormous numbers.
0: <laughs> it's a huge amount, and it grows every year, and they say, oh, yeah, we're going to cap it this year, and then they inevitably don't, because they might lose someone good out of it. Yeah, so
1: the fact that Philippe was picked as the one person they wanted as the mole, tweeted it out from like 20,000 down to that one person. He clearly must have demonstrated a lot of very strong traits to be the mole.
0: Yeah. The curveball to all this, of course, is the fact that, cast your mind back to week one, and we actually found out that Philippe was one of the intruders last year. So potentially they have had him in mind for a year plus at this point. Because as we know from this episode, they didn't start filming until November 4th. They filmed in September for Germany. So he would have had a year keeping the secret potentially of, oh, I was one of these intruders. He presumably applied again, he got through all the tests again, he met up with production and they said, not only are you definitely going this year, but we want you to be the mole. And I think that that might have played in his mind as well, because he came into last season knowing that he probably wasn't going to get through. He might be on the mole, but he might just get a taste of being on the mole. And then he gets a call again and goes, you're definitely on the mole. Not only that, but you are going to be our number one person. You are going to be the mole. And I wonder whether that played into his head a little bit. I wonder whether he overthought it but you think the production crew would be able to pick up on that
1: because they test the mole gets tested more than any other person. And not only that, but Philippe has had, I mean, they were anticipating Philippe to be a contestant last year too. So you could argue that he's been tested more than any other previous mole they've had. So it's very interesting that they had all of this data on him, more data than any other person they picked to be the mole. And And I mean, even production crew said, you weren't a failure, Philippe, but the fact that they were just so surprised that he had to quit halfway through, they're going to be reviewing the data on that quite a bit to figure out how can we avoid that situation in the future.
0: Yeah, let's be perfectly clear. We're not blaming Philippe. We're not blaming the production crew. We're blaming absolutely nobody here, but it's a fascinating situation. Yeah, because you want to you you want to be thinking what what went wrong,
1: what went wrong for this situation to happen? Because it's like the worst nightmare for production, other than maybe while they're on Gran Canaria, the volcano erupts and they all burn in lava or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's an absolute worst case scenario for production, and it's very interesting as an outsider here watching it and going. What happened? How could they do this? How did they stop it happening again? Because you don't want to even consider having to end a season early. 10th anniversary. Setting aside the 10th anniversary, you don't want to consider cancelling a season. You don't want to have to replace them all mid-season. But I think it kind of makes the season a bit more fun, to be honest. It really reinforces that anything can happen on this show.
1: And just the fact that production it's exciting too because production is entering new territory and the players are entering new territory they're writing the playbook as to what would happen in this scenario should any other franchise or any other future Belgian mole season enter on this type of mess again (laughs) yeah so it's gonna be very fascinating to be like okay what's the strategy if the mole has to go home halfway through when a new mole gets picked what if i'm picked to be the mole halfway through
0: what the hell do i do (laughs) This sort of a situation also makes me think because I have said for years that obviously The Mole would be the only show that I would ever want to do and I would 100% want to be The Mole if I was given the option but it makes you think, seeing how much it affected Philippe it makes you think, would I actually want to be The Mole? Would I be strong enough to be The Mole? Yes is the answer, but it makes you think twice about it
1: I think one thing that really jumped out, one quality that we now know that any mole needs to have is to be able to think on their feet and not panic if some of the sabotages don't go their way.
0: Yeah, I think Philippe was, is, I think Philippe is a bit too much of a perfectionist. I don't want to criticize him too much. That's, that's the thing. But he was a bit inflexible when it came to stuff going wrong. Because if you'd, for example, if if you started this season again with, say, Gilles Van Bell or Elizabeth or someone like that, and the team were being very successful, they would have found a way to get around it. Whereas Philippe retreated inside himself a little. I think the pressure got to him. That's what it boils down to.
1: And then the briefing in this
0: episode, too, there's a spot where he
1: said, although I didn't succeed, I'm really happy for the group that they're all having a really good time and earning money. And I'm thinking that's, you can't have that mindset as the mole either where you're really thinking about the, the emotions of the group or the positive morale of the group. Like Van Boel. he thrived when the group was at each other's throats. He was genuinely having fun when he would get into arguments with the other contestants. I think you need a mole who genuinely enjoys messing with people as much as possible, even if it's even, like they have to embrace the awkwardness and uncomfortable interactions between contestants on the mall and just find it hilarious. Like for instance, uh, let's, let's pick an example from last season when Leonard decides to take 10,000 euros out of the pot, you know, he's the group is going to be absolutely furious Everyone's going to be at each other's throats until the end of the game. But he just, he enjoyed doing that. I don't think Philippe, if he was in that same challenge, I think he'd be too nervous or possibly be like, oh, they're all going to be really upset. It's not going to be a fun dynamic within the group anymore. I feel really bad about this. I could see that being his mindset. Or maybe Philippe's personality also changed a bit. Maybe he's not really like that. It's just because he hasn't slept In ten days, that suddenly, because I don't know about you, Michael, but for most people, when they get really sleep deprived, emotions really take over. So that could be a two. Maybe Philippe's not normally a sensitive person. It's just sleep deprived. Philippe is is a really emotional and sensitive person.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I've heard the phenomenon before that airlines don't put emotional films on flights because the change in pressure and sleep deprivation and jet lag and all that sort of stuff affect you emotionally and make you much more likely to be upset or angry or everything like that on a plane. So you tend to have more uplifting films on a um, on a plane than you would in an average cinema, for example. Right. Doesn't stop you crying at Encanto, but <laughs> yeah, they don't tend to put like really gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching films on planes because people's emotions are heightened because of jet lag and stuff so it's the same thing with sleep deprivation jet lag and sleep deprivation are very very similar things biologically overall i just
1: i feel i feel bad that philippe had to had to go through this and that he's going to be this could potentially define him in the public eye for years and years so hopefully it sounds like he got through it with with a therapist and hopefully he still enjoyed the experience
0: Yeah, obviously, I'm deeply interested that we get to talk about this sort of stuff happening. But on a personal level, I'm glad that Philippe is all right now. I'm glad that he was on Café de Mol and able to explain his side of it. I'm glad that our instinct about how lovely the Belgian team are was 100% correct. You even see it in this episode. I mean, we're going to get to Shield tearing up in a minute. But you know, just from our interactions with them, that they deeply care about these people and deeply care about anyone who goes into their orbit. And it's really nice that they ensured that he was okay. It's really nice that they put his needs ahead of their own to say, are you sure you're going to be all right getting to the end of this season because you're not doing well at the moment in terms of in terms of your sleep deprivation and stuff. It was absolutely the right choice for Philippe. It's absolutely the right choice for the production crew. It's deeply interesting for us, and obviously selfishly I'm like oh, this is going to be juicy. But ultimately it doesn't matter what the decision is as long as it is right for the person affected. And we had this with Nayla last week. She probably couldn't have, well she definitely couldn't have carried on in terms of the cycling challenge, but she probably couldn't have carried on with the the physicality of the game. And Philippe definitely couldn't have carried on with the, the paranoia that being the mole provides so it was the right decision for him I don't want to criticise him too much because if I were in his situation I definitely would have made the same decision I think I would have been deeply worried as him if I'd been sleep talking about how, how irritated I was that the team had won money and got called out for it the next day
1: and each day was probably very very long for Philippe, he still had another 11 days to go I think
0: yeah so Philippe then comes into the courtyard and says his goodbyes to everyone. Bert says something beautiful. He says, be gentle to yourself. He says to Jill that he's happy with the choice that he made, that he needed humanity more than the game at this point. And Jill is genuinely upset to have to say goodbye to him. And we hear him, if you'd listen very carefully in the episode, you actually hear Gilles sniffle. He's tearing up when he says goodbye to Philippe.
1: You don't think he's tearing up because his job is going to be be a lot harder for the next four rounds? (laughs) Oh god, yeah, he's he's tearing up
0: because of that, but you you kind of assume that before they even announced Philippe's departure, there was a big, heavy uh, production meeting that morning, I suspect, going, what do we actually do?
1: (laughs) I I bet you there were production meetings going on for several days.
0: This wasn't an out-of-the-blue thing, I don't think.
1: No. I think they had a solid about, probably even starting with round two, they were probably starting to really worry. Yeah, I agree.
0: Um, I would have loved it, however, if Philippe did turn around to him and say, don't cry for me, Gilles de Costa. The truth is I've <laughs> never left you. <laughs>
1: that could have been an Argentina cult.
0: Gilles then explains to the group that health comes first, whether that be physical or mental, but it does have an effect on the game. There is no mole anymore, and that needs to change. And of course, if you pan the camera around, you'll see that everyone is just impersonating the hyenas from Lion King going, no mole, no mole, la 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 la. And then Jill has to snap them back and go, idiots, there will be a mole. One of you will be mole. Stick with <laughs> me and you'll never go hungry again. Can we
1: just all be contestants, earn money, and then the quiz is just answering questions about what happened?
0: Yeah, about who Philippe is. Who knows Philippe the best? <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so gill tells one of them to be prepared as they will become the new mole instead of a challenge they will have an intense chat with Jill, and one of them will receive an offer that he's hoping they will not refuse <laughs> yeah otherwise they're
1: really screwed
0: i would have loved it so much if they'd offered it to someone and they turned around and go no i actually don't want it thanks and then gone to their second choice and they go no actually i'm not, mm. <laughs> it's like last choice to be mole You just have Jens sitting in the corner grinning, going, I'm I'm by default the mole. I knew it. That's why he was smiling after his name was on the screen. What was your order of suspicion before uh, Philippe's departure was announced, by the way?
1: Sven, Manu, Bert, Jens, then Philippe, then Uma, then Anka. But based off of the chat with Jill... (laughs)
0: <laughs> and seeing their name typed in. Yeah, we're going to get to those in a minute, um, because it's not who do you suspect this week, it's who do you think Papaver offered it to. So Bert says that on one hand he would love to do it, but he would struggle to keep it up that long, which is a problem that some people in your videos have. Manu admits that she would love to be the mole. Sven says the mole have a tough job now, that everyone knows each other, but being the mole is the crux of the programme. And Gilles describes him as unreadable, which I'm not sure if that's a compliment. Yeah, that he's just naturally suspicious. Yeah, you're just very passive. Uma says that she wanted to be the mole from the start, but she played the entire game like she was the mole regardless. Jens thinks that he could do it, and he's strong enough to handle the group. Anka would say yes, it's super cool but super difficult. And they all, apart from Anka, say that they are good liars. And in probably my quote of the episode, Uma correctly guesses that most people think that they're good liars. Each of them then head into a side room and discover their new role either as candidate or mole. One person will get a different message to the others, and take the starring role from now on. All we obviously see is their reactions, Bert looks disappointed, Sven's face literally doesn't move, and Manu and Uma both don't react either, Anka nods, and Jens grins. Jill then closes the laptop and tells them that there is now a mole in their midst once more. The game begins anew, with six people we already know, and one of whom, whose world has just been turned upside down upside down. And the good thing is, Manu is able to act that song out now. We know that from this episode. Okay. <laughs> uh, so next time, there are letters at a water park, a kidnapping, paintball guns, and someone chooses the bankrupt option. If you were Papa Virgil de Costa, what would you be looking for in a new mole? I think at
1: this point, if I was Jill, I would just pick the person... I would find to be the most interesting as the mole. I think I would just pick Manu. I would just be like, you know what? We've had two really weird things happen. Let's just pick somebody who would be a really fun mole to see how it would play out, and I would pick Manu.
0: The overriding thing, I think, has to be someone has to find that mole.
1: I think somebody will.
0: They have too much information on each other. They basically have to scrap the first four tests worth of questions, which then means they're going to be limited on the uh, on the finale test. But they have to ensure so that two weird things don't happen this season, in terms of the two things that we've wanted an answer to all the time, we don't want both of those happening in the same season. So you have to pick someone who's going to be a reasonably obvious mole. You have to pick someone who's going to be not necessarily openly antagonistic, but someone who will challenge the group. And someone who, even if the group knows who it is, they will have to go out of their way to get in the way of. And I think you probably pick someone like Jens, who very much has brought a lot of the money in, but is very much enthusiastic no matter what he does. Or, as you said, you pick someone like Manu. Because Manu also solves another issue that Shield talked to us about last year, which is representation. They don't have many many non-white contestants on Belgian Mole. That's purely because of the applications. He said to us that they don't have many many minority groups who apply. I think it would be very interesting to then make Manu the Mole off the back of that statement. But purely personally, I would love it to be Yen's because I think he would be a hilarious mole in the next four episodes. I think he's going to cause absolute havoc if it's him.
1: Yeah, that's another way to do it too. Just somebody who's going to be really... I think you need someone who's going to be really aggressive.
0: Yeah. I think if Jens is the mole, he's going to be spectacularly aggressive with these people, and I love that. That's exactly what they need to end this season, I think, he's just someone who is utter chaos.
1: Yeah, make it a combination of fun and aggression.
0: Yeah. So, who do you think Papa Bear selected? You can have two suspicions.
1: (laughs) I think he picked Manu. Manu and maybe Sven.
0: I mean... Just from a pool point of view, I would love it to be Sven, Bert, or Jens. I think my two suspicions, though, of who he would pick are going to be Jens and Manu. Purely because they are probably the most interesting of the options. Jens is an agent of chaos, and Manu is someone who very much is sitting in the background grinning at people. And the other thing on the Jens point is he has been, in this episode especially, incredibly gloaty that they have got one over on the mole repeatedly. And I'm wondering whether they've put that in to sow seeds, going, Jens is saying this now, but he's going to become the mole and then have to figure out how to deal with that with the group. Because very early in this episode, we have a Jens quote that's something along the lines of, oh, the mole's not doing that well at the moment, are they? We're constantly getting uh, getting the best of them. So I'm wondering whether they've snuck that in as a kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, this guy's going to become the mole thing. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how this plays out Uh, So, with Philippe going home your team is now all the girls Anka, Manu, and Uma and mine is now all the boys Sven, Bert, and Jens
1: Let's hear it for the boys
0: (laughs) We're not redrawing the pool because that is far too much grief at final six and I do have to say congratulations to Bram and Jack who had Philippe as number one in First Suspicions First Suspicions is obviously now null and void Next week, we'll launch second suspicions as soon as the episode is finished. I can't believe I'm having to even prepare for second suspicions. You'll need to rank everyone from one to six, including next week's boots. And you'll have until episode six airs the following Sunday to fill it in. Who do you think is going home next week?
1: Uh, Yeah,
0: I don't know. Anchor. (laughs) (laughs) Completely non-committal answer. I love it. (laughs) The best thing is, I wrote the template for this right before episode 4 aired. So I'm like, oh, who do we suspect? Who's going home? I'm just going to fill that in so I don't have to write it every week. And then, you know, who do we suspect changed to? Who do we suspect has been chosen? And who's going home next? I have no bleeding clue. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Based on how my past week has been going, I have no fucking clue.
0: Purely from a non-confusion point of view, probably one of Anchor or Rumor would be great for me because I keep mixing them up and having to re-record that. <laughs> Have you got anything else you want to say?
1: After two hours of this? No, I don't. I'm good.
0: <laughs> in that case, thank you for listening to our bumper demolvel here, Season 10 Recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the second new mole in the Canary Islands. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are TV rtvwarriors. Or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Logs And I am MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to you for the subtitles. And we'll see you for hopefully a bit of a calmer episode next week. See you later. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavouring.